Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Hey guys, welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Dawn's on me. We should probably let you know that we, like you, are anticipating a break at the end of the year. We're going to come back the first week of January. We're not lo- you're not losing us yet, but I wanted you to know <laughs> right, right. that we have a few more podcasts coming up. We're going to do one today, Tuesday. We're going to do one this coming Friday, the following Tuesday, the 21st, and then we're taking a little more than a week break. You'll actually be, be three podcasts back. You won't hear from us because we're also going to have a Merry Christmas. We hope you do as well. But right now, hey, we actually have a podcast. We should actually like do one we've got two really cool car debates we have discussion about all kinds of things lots of your questions but should we start <clears throat> should we discuss anything about the f1 season that just okay finished? maybe we should we've all been discussing it amongst ourselves we have that's which is I totally thought. fine and so spoiler alert if you have not seen the last formula one race of the 2021 season spoiler alert we're going to touch on it just a little bit right now hopefully mm-hmm. you have seen it and every everybody's got opinions one way or the other sure yeah, yeah and i was fascinated to watch this, and I tried to remain as detached as possible for what the outcome was going to be. <laughs> okay, okay. Because I've liked Mercedes, I've liked Lewis, I've followed mm-hmm. his career for a long time, but I cannot take anything away from Max's driving. True, true, true. The guy is spectacular. Well, and if you aren't up to speed, and I will say this is the guy that doesn't watch as much as many of the others that work with us and, and around us, and many of you that follow us, and there was a huge sub discussion on our Discord page. Yes. A bunch of yes. our patrons that are on Discord had this huge, like, Almost, it was almost like fighting words <laughs> on the Discord page. Plus, uh, Ross wrote a really cool article that's on our website under the writings tab about the F1 season and the discussion on Discord and all of that kind of stuff. If you didn't know, going into the last race, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton were tied, All tied for up. points yep. at half points. I forgot half points were given, but at half points. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was the points. Ridiculousness. So whoever won the last race, you might, I mean, let's be honest, this is good screenwriting. You want it to come down to the last you few do. scenes, right? You do. And the people making the Netflix documentary couldn't be happier that it came down to right, that. Right, right. But it, but it meant either Max would get his first or Lewis would get his record-breaking eighth. Eighth. Indeed. There's a lot of discussion about how, uh, uh, and, and I'm not going to go into the nuances of exactly what happened in the race. Uh, that will come. Netflix, I'm sure, sh- shot it. Many of you will watch it on YouTube. But um, there were decisions made under the yellow flag. There were. That yeah. resulted in Max winning. Indeed. I thought the same thing. And ultimately, I, I'm happy with how it turned out. I am too. I'm happy. I'm good with it. I am too. I think it's healthy for the sport. Mm-hmm. And I think it keeps Lewis hungry, whether or not you love or hate him. Mm-hmm. I think it keeps him hungry for more. Yes. And he's got winning in his blood. But ultimately, we're talking about two guys who do have hearts of lions. They're championship winning kins of mm-hmm. hearts sure. in, and how they drive. And this is the best thing that could have happened to the sport in a long time. Taking nothing away, whether you like or, or hate Max... I feel like there were some ungentlemanly times that he had that he displayed, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. so has Lewis in the past. And I love that it came down mm-hmm. to these two guys. And ultimately, Max has now tasted victory. Yeah, He's going to want more. For sure. But Lewis, I think, kind of did it to himself as well. Well, the thing, even I, though I like him and I was cheering for Lewis. So interesting. Okay. The thing I, I think, think is fascinating. I, I, I go into, of course, just narrative. I just think about it in story sure, terms, right? Sure. And, and honestly, the better story is you want Max to win. And, and the sure, people that indeed. are uh, pulling the strings 
to decide <laughs> the things that happen under the yellow car. What are we allowing? I think they recognize that mm-hmm. because as mm-hmm. much as I like Lewis, and I do, and as much as he's clearly an amazing driver and a record-breaking driver, yes. yes. If he wins again, there's a little bit of a wah wah in the mind right. of the audience because right. the same guy won again with the same team, and it's the. But if a, somebody else was like, "Oh wait, what happened now? What's <laughs> what's going on? What this was new and different. That was exciting. Plus, next year is like a total reset with new cars and new teams, and next year is going to be very different. A lot of new rules involving money as well. So you yeah. bring back everybody on a much more even curious playing field because the obvious heir apparent Lewis Hamilton didn't just win again Mm -hmm. for the eighth time, but he still wants his eighth. And Max, everybody's been going, at some point this guy's going to take it. He did win. So you've set up for a much more interesting next season with it ending this way this season. And I love that from a story perspective, but then there's the flip side. The character side of it in me is fascinated by this reality. I really wanted Max to win because of the difference, because of the change. For the sport? Yes, exactly. Because it wasn't just, well, Lewis won again. Because Lewis clearly is awesome, and and Mercedes is is dominating, and that's all been cool. And Red Bull, by the way, by the way, side note, how is it possible that a drink company makes so much money making their little drink that they have all the stuff they do, including we can't answer a, that question. A, an F1 team. That's unanswerable. That is shocking to anyway, me. Anyway, keep, keep going. That- anyway, and the guy that runs the F1 team is married to a former Spice Girl. The, the, the layers of this the, the story is great. fascinate me. But Netflix has capitalized on absolutely. this. Absolutely. But, but, but here's the thing. The only thing I don't like about Max winning is this. Lewis is the last guy left that shows that an every man can be Formula One champion. That's very true. Max is as embedded in rich people with F1 background do this as humanly possible. His dad is an F1 racer. Mm-hmm. He, li- he grew up in Monaco. His girlfriend is the daughter of an F1 racer. Yes. <laughs> he, is just, he's just, he just shows you that only the elite people that come from Monaco and F1 backgrounds are going to win F1 Max Verstappen. He's just that poster kid. So Charles Leclerc is next. Then, I guess so. Because he's almost in the same category. I guess so. Almost. So so the fact that Lewis is this scrappy guy that comes from nothing is one of the best parts about his story. So story-wise, for sure, for sure. Max is the guy you kind of don't want to have win. I, Max is, yeah, the, it, Max yeah. is the popped-collar Ivy League <laughs> villain in most stories. And Lewis sure. is the underdog you want to have win. But Lewis has won for seven, seven championships and you kind of want to see something else. It's a weird... The story guy in me is fascinated by this. Although there is a, another little twist there. When Max uh, stood next to Nico and you see Nico Rosberg mm-hmm. in the frame because he was doing some post-race commentating. Yeah. The only two guys that can beat Lewis. Interesting Standing point. there. You're so, right. Wow. Point. That's yeah. kind of interesting you know, to think about. But yeah, I... Ultimately, I think it's great for the sport. Mm-hmm. It's great because I think it's now pulling in more car enthusiasts that kind of want to know about Formula One and why are the rules that way and why mm-hmm. is it like this? And when you find yourself explaining a rule and then you think through the logic of that and you think, uh-huh. what, what? Okay, so it's really just what for are we the doing? P- pure purpose of entertainment. Yes. Like DRS. The yes. only point for DRS to exist is entertainment. Mm-hmm. Th- that's it. And so when you start to explain rules, it, it feels like, oh, well, it's because of the grander scheme behind the... Nope. It's for our amusement. 
Which well, I realized IndyCar and every other form of racing. Formula One is the only, aside from Le Mans, Le Mans mm-hmm. too, but the only form of racing that there's trickle down technology eventually yeah, or some yeah, yeah. kind of form of that to sure, road sure. cars. But the rest of it is just pure entertainment. Well, F1 is struggling with the soccer problem. And here's what I mean. American football, not the rest of the world's football, American, American football, football is structured the way it is, I hate to say it, for the benefit of commercials. Yes. And soccer yes. is not structured for commercials. We're going to go for a while, and we're not going to stop because the game is in session. Don't stop the game. Why would you stop it for a commercial? F1 has been finding their footing. I mean, they have American owners, and, and they have the Netflix series, which is broadening mm-hmm. out like crazy. Mm-hmm. F1 is finding its footing as an entertainment venue and not a racing venue. Yeah. And you're watching the morphing of F1 to be more commercial and entertainment friendly, which is the uh, this is why when you watch American football, it's like, oh, look, we're going to commercial again. Oh, look, we're going to commercial again. And soccer is like, well, you know what? We'll get there. We'll get to the commercial when we're good and <laughs> ready. But that's what Formula One has been doing. They've yes. just shown the race because you can't have an interruption. Agreed. There's, you know, timed, especially in NASCAR and, mm-hmm. and IndyCar, there's sort of like, the, the breakaway to commercial, but then they're still showing the race. It's like, yeah. ah, no, we got to find our footing the, there. The yeah, for sure. The race. But yes, it, it was a fascinating end to the season. Mm-hmm. And however you feel about it, I think it's been excellent for the sport and excellent to, to bring new people in. I've been talking to a lot of new people, you mm-hmm. know, new to the sport, just kind of going, now what is all this? And wow, it's called the circus. Whereas the filmmaking industry is called the industry. Yeah. This is the circus. <laughs> yeah. And people make how much, and why does this matter? And it is all about advertising too. It's just it's, it's so great to see that. And it's going to be fascinating next year. I'm I think. thrilled. Yeah, I think I think it really is. For all of the discussion that will be ongoing about the end of this season, I think there couldn't be a better launch pad for next season. Mm, that's a great. Great way to put it, guys. We've got a great debate starting out with Benjamin I, who is writing to us about buying his first enthusiast car. He has been a car enthusiast for about the past 10 years and never, ever had a car with enthusiast cred. He's 37 years old. He's married. He has a three-year-old daughter, and they're out in southern New Hampshire. He said it's snowy four to five months a year, but he grew up in coastal North Carolina. He went through a number of mm, cars. <laughs> they're, they're cars. They are cars. But they're, you're right as far as mm-hmm. enthusiast they were appliances. cred. Purple 93 Chevy Beretta that he totaled, a Buick Skylark that ran for a year. And then when he got his first car loan, he had a 96 Nissan 200 SX, which is apparently a dreadfully boring car. Dreadfully boring car. Got it. He drove it for five long years. But then in 2011, he bought an orange 2006 Hyundai Tiburon SE. This is the range topper with a six-speed manual. He said it was fun, but still slow. And he liked that car well enough in North Carolina. So it came with him to New England when he started his career there in 2012 paid it off, and then started making better money in 2015. And so under the influence of his then-girlfriend, now-wife, and now-minister of finance, hopefully. Yes, for sure. They bought a 2012 Cadillac CTS Coupe, performance trim, 3.6-liter V6 rear-wheel drive. He was ready to go back to an automatic transmission because the roads and traffic patterns in Massachusetts are not great for manuals, in his opinion. (laughs) You're not the first to say that. Yeah, we've heard this. Not at all, yeah. At the time, he walked to work, so driving rear-wheel drive in the snow, not a huge concern. And that CTS Coupe was the first car he ever loved because it was actually nice. Mm, sure it was. Felt fast compared to the Tiburon. Many things do. Yes, Electric scooters. There, there's, like a good, there's a good list there. Lime or bird scooters. Remember fast. the commercial where they pulled the Tiburon behind a boat underwater? 
I don't remember that. that. There no. was a, because Tiburon means shark, and they had oh. something that was obviously not the full car, but they pulled the shape underwater behind a boat like it was Jaws. I, you know what? Points, points for for the Marketing effort. People, points for the effort. <laughs> All right. Well, he says this was his "I've made it" car. CTS Coupe. So they got married in 2017, set about making a baby, which came in September 2018. <laughs> we have a plan. It is baby making time. <laughs> Going to whiteboard that one out. It was a chore to put the infant car seat into a coupe, though. You had to drive with the seat all the way forward and lean forward. Mm-hmm. And that front passenger seat, therefore, was unusable. So anytime they traveled as a family, they had to use his wife's 2013 Nissan Murano. Okay. Hoping it was a convertible. Let's hope not, actually. I hope it yeah. was. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the one that comes out here in the winter. It, and by the way, I never see it in the summer. It only comes out here in the winter. Yes, it's the, the blue one with the, with the, the tan top. And it comes out in the winter here in Park City. It's usually parked over on Main Street. I think somebody that must have a winter house here, that must be their car. Oh, that's a good point. Because it only shows up in the winter. I'm like, what, what are you well, doing? Well, maybe they're not here for the season yet. So. I don't know. Yeah, right. we, we, can, we can dream or we can we hope, can. depending on which way you want to go. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Well, a year later, he found out he could get 3000 or more than he owed on the Cadillac in trade. Huh. So we got a great deal on a certified pre-owned 2016 Jaguar XF, 14,000 miles, and it cost him 26,000 bucks. Okay. Supercharged V8 V6 was thrilling, he says, but over time, he felt no connection with the car. It was just boringly competent, Mm. but he says he thinks a lot of his dispassion for the car was a result of the styling, which I don't think was bad, necessarily. I thought it was fairly Jaguar-esque in look. I agree. You'd think that the XF would be exciting, but... But it just wasn't connecting for him. The reason it's not connecting, though, is the most fascinating thing. Because he suddenly realizes that the XF was not a coupe. Mm-hmm. And every car he's loved has been a coupe. And then he even thought about the fact that, wait a minute, his parents both only owned coupes. Fascinating. So here he realizes that he just can't connect to this car. And he thinks it has to do with it not being a coupe. So he had it for a year. They decided to buy a house, so he dropped it and then realized he could get a better CTS coupe for less money than the last one, less money than he sold the Jaguar for. So now he gets himself another coupe, and you're thinking, wait a minute, what about the kid? But the kid was now a toddler, which (laughs) meant they were in a booster seat facing forward, so now they could use the back seats and the passenger seat, and he's got the CTS coupe back. But the current used market, you heard this coming, loves coupes, loves the CTS and I'm he can glad. get more selling it than he has in it. So he can sell it and walk away with money. So he's looking at doing that, which has him shopping. But there's this, this lingering thing about, I think I have to have a coupe. It's so funny what mm-hmm. our parents' car choices and our childhood. Completely. You know, growing up with car and, and how our parents approach cars and what their use is. Mm-hmm. And it just affects car enthusiasts so deeply. And it's carried through life. It's amazing. It to is me. interesting, yeah. Well, Benjamin's budget here is $30,000 or so. You made a mistake when you wrote or so. Put no qualifiers on your your budget figure. We will move it. (laughs) I'll move it anyway. You know me. You're right. That's fair. But nevertheless, he says that he's become more of an impulse shopper than a research shopper. So he's decided what he really wants in a car. And that is something fast and nimble, four doors, but preferably not a sedan. Four doors, not Not a a sedan. sedan. Mm Mm-hmm. That gets tough. It does. Fast and nimble. He'd like it to have some enthusiast credibility. His commute in their new house is about 30 minutes and mostly back roads, so fuel economy is a bit of a factor. Mm-hmm. But he'd like to have more cargo space. He doesn't need a big SUV or truck. He's okay. toyed with that idea, but that's for another time. 
And he says there's not a lot of options if you want fast, nimble four doors and not a sedan, as mm-hmm. it turns out. You're right. He's leaning towards a 2015 to 2016 Golf R, which is a great choice, and especially a- because of that DCT. It is. And it's let, let's break it down here. It's a hatchback. It is. Yep. It's not a sedan, which right. is crazy. Right. Well, his wife is not keen to have him return to a manual. Well, that DCT is an excellent one, mm-hmm. and I think you'd really like it. She doesn't like the hatch body style, though. But he says that's not too much of a concern. And the things that he's considered are an Audi S3. He hates the design inside and out. An Audi S4. We don't know why that's on the list. Because, which he doesn't like. Yeah, because the Audi S4 is a sedan. This is the thing. The first yeah, two on the list here, I don't get. Because the S3, you just said you hate it inside and out. So I'm not sure why that's a consideration. The S4 is something that is a sedan and you don't like the look of it. Benjamin, why are they on the list at all? Guess we're leaving Audis off Those the list. Those are off, yeah. He does mention the Kia Stinger, but he says the fun ones are way out of budget. Well, maybe not. With thirty grand, maybe not. You're going to have to shop smart. I, I agree. We'll come a back possibility to that. on that. Golf GTI, but he says it feels like you might as well spend the extra dollars and get the R. I'll have you know the brand new GTI is $39,385, so a used R is looking pretty tasty, isn't it? Yeah, you're a fair point. He has an Audi back on the list here, an A6 <laughs> with the V6. <laughs> I thought Audis were out. I thought Benjamin, we ruled that out earlier sedan. in the list. You said no sedan. And it's a sedan. You're I'm right. I'm confused. Anyway. Focus RS is on the list, but it's out of his price range. He said it's maybe a little bit too rough ride for the family. Yeah, I think so. And then Civic Type R, but he says out of his price range and the looks aren't for him. So what is he overlooking? Mm. New cars are out of the question due to stock issues, having them in stock and markups around where he lives. Okay, all right. He also says he heard some suggestions on a prior podcast where... Someone fell in love with a Golf R, and we suggested a Mazda 3 Turbo or Velocirin or a Stinger. Mm-hmm. And with 100 miles of him, there are three Mazdas, Mazda 3 Turbos, mm-hmm. and exactly one Velocirin at the time of writing. He says they're all marked up about $3,000 over MSRP and generally don't last more than, more than a day on the lots. Oh. Holy And moly. what's crazy is right now, at the end of 2021, a $3,000 markup over MSRP is actually a decent deal. It's kind of low. That's like a, yeah. you might want to go buy that. Yeah. He says the Kia dealer has a blanket $6,000 markup on any new Stingers. Mm. Ay, that's insane. It is insane, yeah. Well, there are some things that you might not be aware of, Benjamin, and I've got some great suggestions for Good. you. I have a few. I love the Golf R idea. You've heard me say that. Mm-hmm. Definitely something to explore. I thought of the Mazda CX-30, the turbo version. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, the dealers are not publishing prices because they want to harvest your information and say, contact us. They don't <laughs> want to publish that. Yeah, they do. Guessing they might be a little bit, you know, a little bit too much. And, you know, if there's a, a scarcity of Mazda 3 turbos, probably going to be about the same. I did find two at Seacoast Mazda, I think. Nevertheless, that's at the time of writing. However... 2015 Mercedes AMG GLA 45s are all Ooh. under $30,000. That's a cool choice. They have DCTs. I hadn't gone there. That's a good choice. And the lowest mileage one that I found was 62,000 miles. So it's above your mileage cap of 50,000 mm-hmm. miles. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, every single one, and I found more than 10, they're all under 30K. And they're mm. great to drive. Mm. And what I sort of extrapolated out of your email was the fact that you wanted a car that continues to say I've made it something that feels sure, luxurious sure. Yeah, and yeah. well-built yeah, yeah. and expensive, even though you might not have paid a lot of money for it mm-hmm. rather than, and Mazdas are certainly that way, but I can see the perception around that too. I get that. 
Now, I had an initial wild card for you with a 2017 BMW X1 xDrive 28i, okay. 44,000 miles for $30,000 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I also found a 2014 X1 with 20,000 miles for 22 grand. Mm. Because I was thinking, huh, what hatchbacks does BMW build? Will they build Mini Coopers? Yes, they Clubmans, do. Yes, they do. And Countrymans. Mm-hmm. However, the weird wild card I have for you, Benjamin, is a BMW X2. I wondered if you'd go there. They're actually kind of cool. They're kind of cool. That is BMW's equivalent to the GLA, where it really is a yes. hatchback being sold as an SUV. Exactly right. Yeah. It's the closest thing to a BMW hot hatch that mm-hmm. is four doors. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of them. Every single one was under $30,000. It is the same underpinnings. The chassis as the Countryman, the Clubman, the 2 Series Grand Touring, and the BMW 1 Series. Mm. It's the Sports Activity Coupe. Pick your mileage. Most of them are pretty low mileage mm. in the twenty to 40,000 miles, all under 30K. X2, my friend. I like that. I hadn't gone there, but you know what? The X2 is overlooked, and I do think it's, it's it, it exactly that GLA. Everything we like about the GLA. It is. Yeah. It's the, this is an SUV. No, it's not. It's a hatchback. But you can get kind of a newer one. The ones I, that, I, that I saw for under 30K were in the 2018-year range. Sure, yeah. So it's newer than those GLAs. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, oh, yeah, I was yeah. looking at 2015, yeah, yeah. 2016, but they're newer, less miles than all the GLAs. I like this. This is good. And they're all under 30K. They, they might be 29, but mm-hmm. still, that's under your price cap. And they've got that chassis, that mini chassis. It's the shared chassis. That's good stuff. Shared platform. That's good stuff. Benjamin, I, I went different places than Paul. I didn't, even, I didn't even think of any of the ones you brought up, which I love that. I love it when that happens. These you may not like necessarily, but I'm going to push you on one thing, and that is a 50,000-mile limit on the mileage. I'm going to push you there. Because what car are we talking about, and how was it actually maintained? If you find one that was well-maintained... Yes. Get something 80,000 miles because I don't get the sense that you're going to put an unbelievable amount of miles on your cars. That's not that's not the, your story here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you want something that you can enjoy. And again, it's that shopping thinking where I'm going to have this for a long time. Must you? Because, <laughs> because here's the thing. Everything you've had of late, you've kind of unloaded it in a couple of years. That's true. And so I feel That's like you're true. shopping 50,000 miles uh, as the total mileage from this demeanor of it needs to be around a while. And I'm kind of going, why? Can you get something at 80 and keep it to 100 and move on to something else? I mean, it could be because of various maintenance items. Possibly. It depends on the car. Absolutely. And you don't want to take on a cost of, yes. you know, all right, it's going to suddenly need blank at 60,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I understand the reasons to be concerned, but I also just want to challenge you to, to think, you know, if you bought something at closer to 80 and it had it till 100, you're still going to have a car that's probably just going to run by yeah. and large. But yeah. maintenance is key. What, yeah, what, what, sure. you, what maintenance history are you buying? Four doors, no coupes is very interesting. I like the Golf R. Your A4 is out. The A6 is out. Audi's you know out. what? Hang on. The Audi A7. Okay. Where is well, that in your it's consideration? not really a sedan. All right. So technically, right. that is in the same thinking as the Kia Stinger. Do you like the styling, Benjamin? Do you like the styling? That's a question mark. But here's the thing. <laughs> it's in the same thinking as the Kia Stinger. It, it is. is yeah. a four-door, good-sized car that technically isn't a sedan. It has a hatch opening. So what about a used A7? They've been, they've been out a long time, and there's enough of them out there that I believe you could find one in your budget. It's true. So chase A7s. I think that's worthwhile. Stingers, I found some. Now... I will acknowledge, Benjamin, that most of the ones you find for your budget are the two-liter. Fair, yeah. But some of those V6 are out there. 
I've found a few. You got to shop shop outside your area. Yeah, I think shop if you nationwide, shop nationwide, do autotempest.com slash everyday, search nationwide, yeah. try to find one. I found quite a few. Did you? I, and I used a budget cap of like 32 grand. And it was all com- they're probably so, coming in thirty high thirties, you know. And if and if you open it up to forty, then you got lots of options. But I used a budget cap mm. of thirty two grand, and I found a few of that V six. So they Glad are out it. there. And the fact that you're shopping used, you're avoiding the the brand new uh, <laughs> brand new car tax at the moment. So I think Sheesh. that's an option. I, I I wanted to say Volvo V sixty, but all the ones that are in your budget are the prior one. The prior body style. The interior is not as good. It's a huge interior jump that happened when they made the new version. So that's actually out. But you know what else is in this category? The BMW 430 Grand Coupe. We drove it against the Stinger. Okay, yeah. You know what? There's a lot of those out there for your budget. 430 had good power. This is the four-cylinder, but it's got mid-300s in power, and and it's just, it feels good. I mean, keep in mind, BMW sandbags, too. Yeah, they do. Sorry, that was the thing. It was was 200s in power, but we kept driving it against the mid-300 Stinger and going, that BMW is not nearly as far down as it suggests. It's just over 250 or something, and you think, that seems anemic, and then you drive it, and you're not left wanting. So watch our Kia Stinger BMW 430i Grand Coupe TV piece from a few seasons back. That's on YouTube and Amazon and everywhere else. So Watch that piece. Consider that one. And then I have a wild card okay. where I just thought, not a sedan, has definite street cred, okay. has lots of family space, okay. has great dynamics, mm-hmm. is possible for your budget if you are a little bit open to mileage. Okay. Lots of options out there of the Porsche Panamera. It, you went there. I went there. Good for you. Now, okay. Benjamin, look, you're not going to buy the big monster turbo. Plus, don't buy the big monster turbo. The early turbos were, <clears throat> they, they could have some problems. Let's be kind. They might have problems. But that but V6, the base V6, the V6 still has decent, good power. But then you can get the 4 and 4S even for your budget. So now you've got for all-wheel early, drive. Are we talking early 2010s? I'm talking pre-2015 was what I was finding. Okay. And, and they okay. varied. They varied in mileage, location, all that kind of stuff. But I was finding lots of them. Porsche Panameras. Now, well, mileage is key here. Yeah. And mileage maintenance is even more important because I may you may have to go beyond your mileage cap of 50,000 miles, but if you find somebody, and a lot of Porsche owners are this way, who was meticulous with mileage, I would say buy that car. You find 80,000 miles, but all the maintenance has been done. You find a Panamera, I would just say yes and I can't go remember. get it. That's an interesting choice. I can't remember what year that they switched to the 3.3 liter V6 and upgraded the displacement a little bit. I don't remember either. Because you've got the 3 liter V6 mm-hmm. in your car. It yes, just it runs. Yes, it does. And it's the same motor, I believe, mm-hmm. from that era. It is so similar. That's yeah. great news. So I I think you should consider the Panamera if you like it at all. Now, I realize that is a, um, that is a love it or hate it styling moment early on in the life of the Panamera. But it does everything you're asking but the for. the price makes it look better. Yes, it does. The beer goblin Every, of the Panamera. You believe it. Everything you're asking for, <laughs> if you're <laughs> just, just willing to go in. with a little bit higher mileage. That's why it's a wild card, because I know it's a bit of a stretch. Come on, man. You've heard us talk about drive homework. Because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. AutoTempest.com. All the cars. One search.
Jacques writes to us from North Carolina about towing his race car. Sure. Was, Let's it, do that. Let's I just tow a race car. That actually goes cool places. I agree. He's been listening to us for a couple of years and in need of our assistance. The car bug has bit him hard growing up with both of his parents racing in SCCA road course mm-hmm. events. There it is again yep. about your parents' take on cars and how they look at cars and what cars mean to them. My poor son is ruined. Have you seen the Lotus piece? Yeah, he's yeah, ruined. That, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Well, he's 23 now. He's had a few cars over the years. He's had an O2 Honda Odyssey in gold. Hand that me was, down. That was the, you are just now driving, here's a box. Odyssey That's what that was. probably yeah. grew up in. His first real car was an O3 Volkswagen Jetta GLI, six-speed manual in black. Okay. And a 92 Miata in black. He went through nut and bolt coilovers, bushing, sway bars, roll bars, harnesses, six-speed swap, LSD swap, <laughs> wheels and tires, so much more. He just kind of oh. dismantled it, put it back together. Miata. Gosh. Well, he's currently got three cars. Well done. Three cars at 23? That's. I was lucky to have actually been in three cars, period, that I could call my own by 24, let alone at the same time. Bravo, man. Uh, no. 2000 BMW. It's an E39 hmm. 540 wagon okay. in blue. All right. Like it. By the way, Jacques sent us photos, and the photos are hilarious because he is towing his race car with this BMW. Hmm. He's driving it every day, 50 miles round trip to work and back. He's done all the maintenance. He bought it two and a half years ago. He's done the timing chain, full coolant system refresh, suspension. And this is with a custom hitch that he made and got certified. He tows the race car Mm. to and from autocross events. Now, this race car is another black 93 Miata. It's a full CSP class spec for SCCA autocross because mom and dad did. (laughs) So we're back. Yay! He's he was able to place second at nationals his first time there, and, Good and like job. I said, he, sh- he sent photos. And then finally, a white 1983 Volkswagen Rabbit pickup. Pickup is the key word. Remember the <laughs> Rabbit pickups? So funky and cool. They're like they're like the Volkswagen Brat. That's great. They're kind of like the Volkswagen they Brat. Are. That's what they are. Yeah. It had it. Well, it does have a VR6 swap out of a '99 GTI. He says this car is for those who don't know. It's built off the same front chassis as the Rabbit, so it's front-wheel drive, absolute blast to drive, <laughs> 200 horsepower, and it weighs 2,000 pounds. That's uh, Lotus Elise uh, power-to-weight ratio there, folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just so funky looking. They're just they're great. When you see one, you go, oh, yeah. Those existed. I guess I'll keep driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For somebody else to own. But his question is, Jacques says he would like an enclosed trailer for the race car. But the BMW can only tow 5,000 pounds. I didn't mm. know it could tow that much. I'm surprised as well. That seems like a high number for that. It really bravo. does. All right. So he'd be looking to replace it, but he seems to be let down with all the trucks nowadays, and he's driven all the Fords and Dodges and Chevys and Toyotas that can tow 10,000 pounds, but he's not getting the fizz like any of his other cars. Well, mm. that's just by their very nature. They're just not going to give that same kind of race car. You're sure. coming out of an SCCA spec autocross Miata. True, but he's also driving a BMW wagon. And yeah, that's that the thing. His, his tow you. vehicle is actually really cool to drive. That's the problem. <laughs> it's true. He says the Odyssey drives better than most trucks. You're not mm, wrong. Okay. So should he suck it up because the truck has purpose <laughs> and get what he can with selling the BMW around fifteen grand? Okay. Who wants Jacques Blue 540 E39 wagon? It's so I, cool. I kind of do, and I have absolutely zero use for it. Oh, it's I cool. kind of want it. It sounds amazing. Does he sell the Volkswagen Rabbit pickup to throw another seven grand at it and get of a 
get a better truck. Mm. So you'd have just over 20 grand to spend on some kind of pickup, which I'm sure you could find easily a pickup yeah. that will tow your house. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But then you'll be driving a pickup that can tow your house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be happy. Clearly. It almost seems like you're in the perfect situation right now. I didn't know that wagon could tow 5,000 pounds. I didn't either. Mike, other question for you is your race trailer in your photos looks very light, but your car is very light. Mm-hmm. Combine that can't exceed 5,000 pounds. And even if you get a lightweight enclosed trailer, I don't think you're going to exceed 5,000 pounds. I was wondering that as well. So why do you need a truck that can tow, tow 10,000? I, I was wondering that as well. But I mean, maybe, maybe everything he's thinking of taking in an enclosed gets him like very close to five and that's his problem because that's obviously the tow thing you want to have extra you don't want to tow 5,000 pounds with your 5,000 pound rated thing right maybe that's the issue but I also I kind of ask myself what all else is going in this trailer because I also why do you need an enclosed trailer and I get the sense this is the thing I'm wondering I'm wondering about what else is going in that trailer because it's more than just the car hmm started thinking Jacques Ford Ranger can tow 7,500 if you've got that optional towing package. Mm-hmm. But that means you sell the BMW. That BMW is special. Plus, you put money and time it and is work for into sure. it. A Honda Ridgeline, a Santa Cruz, 5,000 pounds, properly equipped. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at the Ford Maverick. Okay. Because the whole point of a Ford Maverick is a $20,000 pickup truck. Yeah. Now, yeah. they quickly go over that when you load them up. But if you try hard to keep them base, mm-hmm. they're Maybe touching 25. Okay. Now yep. you have to get the optional 4K towing package, but it only bumps you up to 4,000 pounds. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of a bummer. I was I a agree. bit disappointed to find that out. Yeah. Because I understand your desire for pickup truck because that's more tires in the bed of the thing and you know chairs, cooler, everything else that goes along with a race weekend mm-hmm. that might not fit in the trailer. The trailer is probably cars, tools, you know, minimal stuff in a small-ish trailer for a a Miata. You're trying to keep the weight down, probably trying to keep the cost down on the trailer too. So I get it. And like I said, if you're carrying a a fuel drum or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. fuel bottles and tools and that stuff adds up, you you can't ignore that on a a trailering package that is as light as you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But hmm, I guess pickup truck, And, and if you do... What one strikes you the best in, as far as styling? What one strikes you the best as far as, all right, if I want to upgrade in the future, I can. I've got 10,000 pounds mm-hmm. and I can tow whatever. You said you've driven them all and it comes down to personal preference at this point. And for 20 grand, you can. But I really, really hate for you to let the BMW go and the Volkswagen Rabbit to go. This is That is a little heartbreaking. Those Sh- are cool, unique, yeah. special car enthusiast cars they are jacques I, I really do want you to do the math closely here and and ask yourself how big a trailer what's in the trailer how much does your your come on your miata race car probably weighs less than my lotus does yeah it's probably a sub two thousand pound car yeah who knows but anyway i mean i i definitely do the math and see if that bmw can stay i do love your current garage however however a couple things struck me here that BMW is not just your tow vehicle. It's also your daily. It is the commute car to work. The Rabbit pickup, you said, it's a couple of weekends from being a daily, but it sounds like, I mean, that's just the laugh vehicle. It's just, yeah. I, I can't believe I have one of these. Yeah. I don't get from you a sense that even though it's a blast drive, and the fa- you, I mean, you mentioned you'd be willing to sell it. That is, that's been like the fun science project <laughs> is the sense that I get from you. So it could go, and it's not 
really a daily car. It's, it's a laugh riot, but it's not really a daily car. Obviously, you can't daily the Miata. Right. So right. if you sell both of those, which is where I'm going, I'm okay. just going to follow that rabbit trail for a second. If you sell okay. both of those, Unintended. whatever you end up with, yes, is your daily. So now you have a pickup. That's the daily. That you have to daily. Dang and you it. don't want to be in a pickup. And I suddenly realized I had a sniper shot. I haven't gone here in a long time. I have okay. a sniper shot. Okay, tell me. I have something that can be your daily that is actually decent to drive, that actually is classy like the BMW. Okay. And it can tow up to 7,000 pounds. Moliers. Porsche Cayenne. Cayenne. The Cayennes tow 7,000. Their rating sometimes is as high as 7,700 or 8,000 pounds, depending upon the way you get expect. Go take your 20-plus grand. There buy is. yourself a used Porsche Cayenne. You are now a 23-year-old who dailies a used <laughs> Cayenne that people are going to think costs 60 to 100 grand, and it cost you 20, 25. Yeesh. And then you can pull, pull your race trailer with your race-prepped Miata behind your Cayenne to the track and show up. I'm stopping. I haven't done That's a sniper shot in a long time. pretty dang good. I have to admit. But 7,000 pound towing capacity in your Porsche Cayenne. And when you have to daily it, you'll still be happy. That's interesting. I didn't realize they towed that much. Believe it or not. That's pretty good. Believe it or not. Yeah. That's useful because it's interesting how many of these smaller trucks end at five. Yes. Almost as if it's a, a gentleman's agreement. Yeah, it'll be five. Five's fine. Five, five's uh, good wh- enough. Why do you need to stop there? Can the chassis take a little bit more? That's your selling point right there. Can mm-hmm. you go 6,500? Can you go more? Yeah. On any of these brand new trucklets, whatever well, they are. The Ranger with 7,500 is like, okay, great. Full-size pickup trucks from the last era yeah. used to tow. Yeah. But a Cayenne? Porsche for the win. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. If you park outside during cold months, overnight, at home, or at work, you need a car cover from Covercraft. We specifically recommend the Custom Weather Shield HP Car Cover. It's designed for dramatic water dispersion while still being breathable and super lightweight. It's also got superior paint finish protection, too. On the underside, it's less abrasive than flannel. Our cars are an investment. From our personal fun cars and SUVs to our cheap sports cars, Covercraft is focused on protecting all of them. And whatever car, SUV, or truck you love, they want to protect that too. Whatever sunscreen, dash cover, or car cover you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY21 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com specifically for our audience. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality products that keep your vehicles protected and looking their best. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Great questions as always, guys. Thank you, as always, for chiming in and just letting us know what's on your mind. Again, we take questions on all of our social media outlets, and typically we ask for them on Mondays or Thursdays for the Tuesdays and Friday podcast. I want to remind you, if you are a person wanting to send in a car debate, please don't send them there. Also, please don't send them in the direct messages of Instagram or, or that kind of thing. It's, it's harder for us to get them into the pipeline of consideration to actually be on the show. So if you have a car debate, please send them to Everyday Driver tv at gmail.com or go to our website everydaydriver.com hit the contact button send them there both of those wind up in the same email funnel which helps us more than you know so please send the actual car debates that way tons of great questions i'm going to start here jared rose one said he's having trouble finding the american original blu-ray i don't know why man i looked just before we started uh, recording they're available we have them you should be able to go to amazon right now and order them it shouldn't say out of stock i'm not sure the last time that's you checked. the click through through the website yes from uh, EverydayDriver.com, yes. click to yes, the store, directly. then Amazon. You can go right through the Films yeah. tab, and you can get there. You can wind up on Amazon. You should be you should be able to find it, no problem. 
Let's talk architecture. Question from M. Gibalisco, who says, Paul, why are garages so small on mm. older homes when the cars were so big? Mm. Their home is from 1957. Well, back in the 40s, early 40s, is when garages transformed from carriage houses to being attached to homes. Mm. And people wanted homes. The, the, the houses that were built that didn't have garages or attached garages were tough sells because yeah. of the post-war thing. Everybody wanted a car. But it wasn't until the 1960s when the average American family could afford more than one car. Mm. So your home is I think right in the cusp of 1957 and earlier homes built with smaller cars in mind, those early Chevys and Fords from the 1940s that weren't the big Cadillacs and Packards and V16, you know, V16 Cadillacs, and straight eight Duesenbergs and, you know, the mm-hmm. big stuff that was the rich people who had the big carriage houses on their estates. Mm, interesting. Okay. But that, I think that was the thinking it, I think cars outgrew their homes and outgrew architecture thinking far more quickly than what architects could keep up Mm. with and what demand could. Because in the late 50s, Cadillacs were huge already. They peaked in 1962. So by 1957, those are big, big cars. But home building at that point had not caught up, I don't think, because as you know, once a home is built, it is what it is until you modify it, until you, mm. you know, remake the garage or, or do new construction on it. And so I don't think architects realized how quickly this demand in cars, this big, beautiful sweeping lines in the tail fin era mm. was growing. I mean, 59 Cadillacs, that was peak tail fin and <laughs> six by 62, the cars were just enormous. You also bring up that interesting question. And I don't know what the stats are. Somebody will know. And that is how often did people have more than one car at that era? I it mean, was just beginning in the mid sixties. I think, yeah, I, I don't think in the fifties, it was really common for mm-hmm. families to have two cars. Mm-hmm. So now you just got to fit one car. We had a, we had a garage in Houston, a house built in the eighties, if I remember, and it was a two car garage, but no, it wasn't. I yeah. mean, the only way yeah. to get two cars in there was to put them so unbelievably close to each other, and, and you had to get everybody else out of the car, and the driver had to slither out. I mean, I remember that was a house <laughs> yeah. from the 80s. So, I mean, there's yeah. all kinds of considerations for how big's the lot. And you've said it before, that architects hate cars. I mean, it's just there's a lot of situation that happens where it's just we, we're going to make it to spec, we're not giving not designed to be luxurious because that's not the stuff we want you excited. We want you excited no. about the bedrooms, the bathrooms, the house, the kitchen. Yes, I, we need to do a garage. If realtors would publish photos of the garage, I'd be so happy. I, <laughs> I just like to look at houses too. I look at cars, but I look at houses too. And I, I never see any photos of listings with the garage. Make the garage amazing. What if it's three car? Show me what's in there. Do you have a charger on the wall in there? Oh, that could be a selling point. There you go. Show me the That's cool good. garage. Is it painted floor? Is there nice cabinetry? The garage is such a selling point, And I think will continue to be because people want to own stuff. Mm. We think of this future as the electric pod is going to show up at your house and take you wherever you want. And so therefore architecture for new homes needs to keep up mm. by not building garages anymore. Where are you going to keep all your stuff, all your crap, <laughs> you the junk. overflow? Where does it go? <laughs> or if you have a garage, either start a, you know, the world's next big tech company or start the, you know, a famous rock band. You've got a garage. <laughs> That's what they're for, right? <laughs> So I I think garages and garage architecture as attached to homes will still be very prevalent for years to come. I wish that garages 
were paid more attention to by home builders. Make them more spacious. Cars still are getting bigger with SUVs. They're still getting bigger. Let's give the space. Let's put the space in the garage. It's the cleanest room in my house. Travis Bacon asked a question that I realized I didn't talk about in our recent Civic SI test drive or in our actual TV episode because it wasn't as much of an issue, but he had a question, and that is rev hang on the new Civic SI. The last Civic, the SI, most of the Civics of the last gen, the 10th gen, the rev hang was bad. It was genuinely very bad. And I realized something on the new one. Does it exist? Yes, it's still there. Is it annoying? No, it is not. The most times that I actually discovered it was a full throttle buried to the floor red line shift was about the only time it reared its head. If you were driving in a normal, and I mean fast, but a normal fashion, it rarely was annoying because it would at least drop fast enough that you were engaging in a normal way with the gearbox. I mean, when we drove a recent GLI and it was rev hang all the time, no matter what you did. And the last Civic was pretty much that way. It was rev hang all the time. Mm -hmm. This one seemed to drop better. There's still some, if you really are kind of looking for it, it's there, but I do think they've improved it. Yeah, agreed. Well, Kazi Chav is asking, what's the reason behind Acura not offering all their normal TLX colors, like the crazy purple, on the Type S? Mm. Shouldn't they want to make their performance sedans stand out like so many other brands do? I will call and ask. I <laughs> cannot tell you. I, <laughs> I don't know no the idea. decision behind that. Very but I'll, I'll call my friend Damon at, uh, at Acura and ask him why. That's a good, I like that. Seth Kleinman is saying, assuming you're not a BMW driver and actually use your turn signals. Ooh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So there's a a shot right off the bat. Now, the the question is, if you use turn signals, and you should, because people are not mind readers. This is the best benefit of turn signals. People behind you cannot read your mind, just so you know. (laughs) Do we signal while changing lanes or before changing lanes? Generally, but if, unless traffic is tight. I am kind of signaling at the same time. I will signal, I will hit the stalk, and then begin the move. And then it's just Mm -hmm. a matter of how fast do the blinkers start happening. As traffic gets tighter, I start signaling sooner and sooner and sooner. Because if I'm in, you know, packed traffic, I need you to know that I'm thinking about a move before I even make a move. If we're all moving along with a lot of space, I'm going to let you know as I'm kind of in the process. Break it off and throw it at people. Kander Swims says, what is the best powertrain combo out right now? Hmm. Standouts have been in test cars this year. Genesis G70 is certainly up there. That was... Yeah, it's really good. Really, really good. It's really good. The Type S, the Acura TLX Type S was really good. We had other issues about the car, but the powertrain? Mm, That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Pretty good. All the Mercedes AMG cars and SUVs and all the AMG love. Yes, 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 yes. But the standout was the Honda Civic Si. Really? That okay. combo. I thought that that actually ties into another question uh, further on down the list here. Because I thought that uh, it was from Ghosty Miata. What press car shocked us the most this year? You, you either thought it would be good or you mm-hmm. thought it was going to be horrible. I thought it would be average. I mm-hmm. thought it would be yet another iteration. I didn't think that the refinement, the level of refinement and you know, reducing horsepower could actually be more tempting Interesting. And okay. the Civic SI did it. If you have not seen our Civic SI review, it is on the Test Drive channel. Easiest way to get there is to go to everydaydriver.com. Mm-hmm. Second tab over is YouTube, and then you can choose either of our channels. Yep. So you go to Test Drive right there, and as of this recording, it's our latest Test Drive. Mm-hmm. And you can see what we thought of it. I didn't come in thinking that I'd really like it. I've loved Hondas. I had two Accords early sure, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were great. Hondas are just great. But, you know, as you discover performance cars and other kinds of platforms yeah they they got left behind in my mind Mm. and then here's this si again yes the price went up yes there's less standard features but wow 
Mm. What a car. Cool to drive. That test drive tells the story for sure. We will do a big kind of end of the year, next year car wrap-up thing. We'll probably do that the first week of January to start your, your 2022 off right. We'll have a big discussion of cars, of the, cars of the year and cars coming up. That's going to be really cool. Travels with George J says, this is going to get personal, what's the biggest car purchase negotiation blunder we've ever made? Have you ever regretted a car purchase by the time you got your new car home? I've mentioned this before. With a few exceptions, and I'm getting better about it, with a few exceptions, I have terrible buyer's remorse 48 hours or so like a day to the 48 hour mark of after i have a a car i am convinced i got completely screwed what aspect of it just paying the money or or not getting a deal i I am besieged by the feeling that it's all going to go wrong paid too much there's a gotcha coming car's going to be a disaster all of the above plagues me (laughs) i'm getting better about it because you and i do things like buy five thousand dollar volkswagen phaetons and that pretty well just resets my brain because that because that got pulled off the truck and i was like everything's gonna go wrong and i'm fine with it you know it's a very different thing some did well i was thinking about the maserati Went to the Vegas yeah. strip yes. mall yes. at a lawyer's office by day to buy a used car that the inventory was kept in the parking lot. I think it was kept somewhere else, and then at night he pulled them I out. I think so, too. It was very questionable. Them yeah. by the airport and bought the car with a debit card <laughs> and then drove it home. And the next morning I was driving it home thinking, huh, this car needs to get me home. Hope it gets me home. I hope to not be stranded. Yeah. It's running currently. <laughs> and look, go. it's still running. Whew. I will tell you the experience that I had that I think scarred me a little bit as an adult okay. and set this up. Okay. Because my wife, before we got married, her parents got her, like when she graduated college, they got her a, uh, a Wrangler Sport. So it's the base. I remember Wrangler, that. That was she had a Wrangler black Sport, one, right? Black one. It was yeah, brand yeah, yeah. new. She loved it. It was manual transmission. It was everything. This is one of the reasons to this day she still loves the Wrangler so much. Oh. We got married a few years later. And then we'd had that car a couple of years into our marriage, and we'd done some really cool road trips and fun with it. But then that car still had some decent value, and we needed a bigger car, a more okay. usable car. Okay. And so we traded that in to get the GMC Yukon. She ultimately loved, but she cried. She wept when we sold that Jeep. Really? And here I am, the young husband. Not, I mean, I was like late 20s, okay? And I'm having to... To, to be the man and negotiate, right? Which I'm not prepared to do at all. We were on a little Dang. used car lot run by this couple. They were probably twice our age and they knew all of the tricks. Ugh. They knew all the tricks. That stinks. And I was aware of some of them, but I was oblivious to many others. And one of the ones I fell for was I knew what I thought the, the Jeep should be worth as a trade-in. Okay. And he went out and checked it over and came in and said, no, it's worth this, and here's why. And something in the back of my mind was like, I don't think you've got the stats on the Jeep right, but you do this, and I don't, so maybe you know. He was wrong, I was right, and I got screwed on the trade-in. I've never heard this story, man. Yeah, I got screwed on the trade-in. And so when we left with a car, look, here's the thing you have to know about this this Yukon. We bought it at about 60,000 miles. We had it for more than a decade. We put 200,000 miles on it in our ownership. This is the car that you were in a million times, Paul, as we drove back and forth to Mammoth. It totally. It ran like crazy. Totally. It was a fantastic truck for us. So the story ends well. But I knew after I got home, I'd been screwed. I paid too much for the Yukon, and I didn't get enough out of the Wrangler, and I didn't see it at the time. And the little times that I thought, I don't think that's right, I didn't stand my ground. 
So I had become a very different car buyer since, but that scarred me. And I felt like I'd let my wife down because oh. she was weeping oh. that the Jeep was being sold, even yeah. though she liked what we were getting. And then I did it wrong. Oh. So George, that is, I didn't that know is that. the story and it hurts to this day. Wow. Was it be, did he try to undercut you by quoting the Jeep specs were different than what you knew yes. they were to be? And you yes. just kind of went, okay, I'm trying you know. to do this deal. And I, I guess you know. Yeah, I guess, you know. But you knew the specs. You knew here's what it has, here's what it doesn't. I should have stood my ground and been like, what the heck are you talking about? Ah, uh, that stinks. I think for me it was that came in the first came and then I bought. And I bought it sight unseen. Mm-hmm. The pictures were great. <laughs> <laughs> it was located just outside Tulsa, Oklahoma. I remember. And the guy who was selling it, we determined he lived on Gravel Rock Road mm-hmm. and didn't really care about it. And then I'm pretty sure when they got their minivan, because they had their fourth kid and needed to get rid of the Cayman. Yes. And somebody opened the minivan door right into the fender. So it had a fender ding and that wasn't really disclosed. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't have the maintenance records because I think this was just toy it was just yeah ah, i don't care yeah. it's just an interim thing if you want it fine if you don't it'll sell kind of <laughs> attitude so we didn't have all the maintenance records so when we showed up on our one-way plane ticket you came with me to I drive did. it back yep. to california i thought ah, i didn't know about the door ding you kind of should have told me about that yeah or it yeah. was the fender ding yeah, right yeah. on the fine line the fender arch mm-hmm. line I remember which i never ac- actually got fixed reasons for that but then he didn't have all the maintenance records. He was just kind of like, yeah, it's been, you know, I got some, I guess. Didn't really care. Didn't really pay much attention to it. <laughs> it's like, been maintained. You're like, no. What? It's got 25,000 miles on it. I mean, that's kind of new, but it still needs maintenance. And yeah. what, have you done anything to it? Like, eh, well, you know, he just had this devil may care attitude about it, you know, kind of cavalier about it. And I was like, I, but this is expensive and it's a Porsche mm-hmm. and I might be screwed because I don't know mechanically what it might need. And yeah. then we got in it throw it home and I had to make a game time decision. Yeah. You know, here's the cashier's check I brought with me. I guess we're doing this and hit the road. (laughs) Here we go. Amazingly enough, it turned out to be an excellent car. Once I get a car, I need to immediately do an oil change just to reset the meter. Mm -hmm. It's just my thing. I have to just, I don't care if you've already changed the oil. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it again because I have to know whether I do it or I have a shop do it, yeah, I yeah, have yeah. to know that this resets the, the maintenance records for me. I need them to look it over post-purchase <laughs> inspection. Yes, for sure. We do Good that job. a lot. <laughs> but that kind of, that was a pucker moment. It wasn't a remorse mm-hmm. moment per se. It was just more of a, uh, did I just waste $37,000? We have clearly had much more questionable <laughs> car purchases since then. But yeah, those are the, the times for sure. Oh, man. Hey, there's a watch question. Uh oh. Welcome watch question from KTL23. It's a track daily crush in the form of movements. <laughs> Quartz, automatic, or mechanical? Well, automatic is at the top of my list. Mechanical is number two. So I'm crushing quartz, even though there's many quartz watches that are great, <laughs> but I prefer the automatic. I mean, what we're talking about is, you know, Rolex or Tudor versus the latest Omega Speedy, which is mechanical versus. Anything else that's quartz. I'm completely lost. I really appreciate the mechanical nature of things. And whenever I see somebody wearing an Apple Watch, I think that's going to be in your junk drawer in about six months because the Mm. new one's coming out and you'll go, "Uh, it doesn't have the features that I want. Mm. And you're going to have to buy it another one again. Mm. It's like buying, you know, a bunch of 
crappy knives and then instead of the one knife that you have for the kitchen knife you know what i mean this is my uh, knife or, but a watch <laughs> that's something you're going to pass down to somebody or you'll sell it for probably the same amount you bought it for that's why i appreciate them so mm. much and for me it's i'm watching my life tick away it's the weirdest thing i'm like looking at my mm. it's it's a sentimental look at my life like what am i doing with my time right now what could i be better doing with my time okay and this thing is recording it for me it's not just the digital here's the features i don't care about that stuff interesting i, I got the phone and the ipad and the computer and all that mm-hmm. stuff but this this precious thing that's tells the story of my life with springs and gears in a cool looking thing that I love to always look at. There's no point when I don't enjoy looking at watches. That's fascinating. And okay. here it is. Right. And it's recording it. the, the timeline of my life. That's why I like him so much. Bravo. All right. Well, I'm going to stop here with uh, Bradley Lee. 1983 says uh, with new sports cars coming out, the revised B, uh, BRZ or 86, the next-gen Civic Type R, you could throw the MX-5 in there, lots of other. He said he's, he finds himself pausing as he looks for a Cayman. He feels <laughs> Don't like, pause. No, 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 no. Pausing. Hit the gas. Why, why are you pausing? Let's go get a Cayman. <laughs> no pause. He says, now hang on. He can get a lot of the cars we're discussing for less than a used 718 Cayman. How do you determine if it's worth the price bump? Now, Paul and I have talked about the price of of fun many, many times. We want to visit that a little bit. But what you have to do, Bradley, is you actually have to try to drive these within the same day. You need to drive the 86 and drive a Cayman. We want to put the new 86 with a used Cayman and have that discussion. That's one of the many things we want to do. You're right. The Z cars come in. There's lots of other ones that are out there. You You have to find a way to drive them in as close proximity as humanly possible. And then which one speaks to you the most? And that is beyond budget. I know that sounds weird. Budget is a factor, but what's the one that you just you can't get over how cool it was to drive it and to be in it? Hmm. And that might here's the thing I, I want to free you up with. That might be the cheaper car. Oh, yeah. It absolutely yeah. might be. Yeah, it can uh, be. It, it doesn't doesn't mean that the more expensive car is always the one that's better. It does not mean that at all. And we've all been conditioned with the posters on our walls and everybody driving the latest exotic. We've been conditioned. That must be the best car ever. And it might not be for you. Totally. So you right. need to drive them, and you're right. It may be a situation where you find yourself in a new 86 or even a Civic Type R because you like it more than a Cayman. That, it, that reality exists. There's also nothing to take away how awesome a Cayman really is. Season 10 begins January 1st, 2022 at 7.30 Eastern on the 1st. As I said, we're looking forward to sharing this entire season with you. It's coming together. I hear updates from Todd and he comes Mm -hmm. over and says, I've got to mix this. and I've got a 50-minute A-roll of this. And it's cool to hear the updates. And thanks to Chance and Edgar for their work on on the episodes too. I'm continuing putting out test drives. We are putting out test drives and podcasts, like Todd said at the beginning, from through the end of the year. And then we're going to be taking a break. But continue sending your Topic Tuesdays, your car buying stories, your discussions, your questions. We love hearing from you guys. And we really appreciate it. And we're already looking forward to 2022. Lots to come. Cheers, guys.